Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. This is the podcast where we aim to catch you up on the week and make sure that you are informed heading into the weekend, that you know what people are talking about when topics come into conversation or come up in conversation, um, whether it's something that's happened in the world of entertainment or indeed in the news. Um, I hope you've had a good week. My week has been completely wild, like... You know, the, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin if I was going to try and tell you all of it. Um, so I I, I can't. <laughs> but what I will say is I experienced the most disturbing incident of road rage I've I've ever experienced. Um, where I was followed by someone for 40 minutes. Um, I, I, like, I have to tell this whole story. I'm going to, I think I'll tell it on the next Patreon mailbag episode because it's so completely wild. But I don't have time to tell it all today because I, I, I also have other things to talk about. I also had my ADHD diagnosis confirmed this week. I had my second appointment with a psychiatrist who said, yes, uh, you do have ADHD. I'm still suffering from my aforementioned imposter syndrome with it, um, where I'm like, oh, it's just so convenient to explain away these things I don't like about myself via this diagnosis. Um, but I need to obviously get over that. I have been prescribed medication. I'm going to start taking that medication tomorrow. I feel excited and nervous and hopeful um, and... I think what I'm nervous about is that it won't work um, and that therefore I'll have to be like, oh, I guess I don't have ADHD um, and I do, I am just, you know, flawed in all of these ways. Like, obviously I'm flawed, we're all flawed, but, you know, I'm just, I guess the hopeful bit is that I'm hoping I'll be able to get a bit bit more peace in my brain um, and be able to just organize myself a bit better. Um, I will talk more about that as I start taking the medication and, and once I kind of am a little bit more settled with it. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, I, I really was desperate to talk about this this week. And um, if you want to skip this, I am going to be talking about body stuff. I would skip to about 17 minutes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to bang on about this for a while. Um, and if you're not in a position to listen to kind of conversation around body image and some of the kind of difficult narratives that are on the internet at the moment, that's absolutely fine. I know I don't normally talk for that long at the start of 
an episode, but I just really wanted to address this and there wasn't really an appropriate place to address it in other in other parts of the podcast. So if you want to skip forward, I will put a more specific time marking um, in the show notes so that you can properly, properly skip it if you're not in a place to listen to someone talk about body stuff. Um, I completely understand that because I have definitely been having a pretty hard time with body image matters of late I would say for the past few years and this week was a really tough week um I I was just recently on my friend Claire Beck's podcast Real Hot Girl Pod um and I was on there to talk about Miss Piggy uh because obviously I have Miss Piggy tattooed on my arm um I hold her up as kind of real bastion of body positivity um she has always been such an unapologetic character when it comes to any perceived imperfections that she might have she does not accept them <laughs> she she loves herself through and through and I think you know her her presence on my body is a really good reminder of um you know what's actually important but you know, the reality is I've really been struggling and, and myself and Claire and um, Connor ended up having like a, a really good conversation about, you know, the reality of growing up in the time that we grew up, um, which was kind of in the, I suppose we were, um, God, when were we, when did we grow up? We were teens in the nine, late 90s and early 2000s um, and the, to- the culture was incredibly toxic at that time. I mean, we grew up at a time where, well at a time where America's Next Top Model was absolutely massive and I don't know if you've seen the clips that are going viral at the moment from that show of some of the absolutely horrendous conversations that happen around bodies Uh, I watched so many reality TV shows whether it was that or other you know the Girls Next Door that Playboy show like all of those reality shows where bodies were just analyzed and discussed in great detail about any perceived imperfection and it all went into my brain. I I absolutely devoured magazines that, you know, included things like the circle of shame where people were photographed on holidays and their flaws were circled and you know, it was a really bleak time to grow up in terms of body image, no matter what kind of body you were growing up in. And if you were growing up in a bigger body as I was, I think it was particularly difficult. Um and, you know, I I had been feeling like things had kind of improved a bit. Um, you know, personally, I've been struggling um, partially because of the changes in my body after I had a cesarean section with my son, Ted. Um, I wasn't prepared for the changes. It was an emergency section. I hadn't given cesarean sections that much thought. I definitely was the right decision for me. I needed to get my baby out safely. I don't regret the cesarean, but it has had a permanent impact on the shape of my body. And I have never really come to terms with that. Um, so despite the fact that I'd done a lot of really hard work prior to that, kind of getting to a better place with my body and and growing to kind of appreciate the things that my body does that have nothing to do with what it looks like, um, the struggle has been real. And, you know, I say this all the time, there's no finish line, I don't think, with body image because we live in a world that that continues to send us negative messages about bodies that are perceived to be imperfect or unacceptable. Um, and, you know, I, as I said earlier, I have felt that things were improving. I think the advent of social media is kind of a double-edged sword. Like on the one hand, it can be really difficult if you decide to fill your social media feed with kind of bodies that are are unattainable or you know appearances that you're just never going to be able to achieve but I also think it can be really positive you can you can find your tribe you can find people who are beautiful who are stylish who are inspirational who live in bodies like yours and that has definitely been something that's been really positive for me but still the messages come through loud and clear 
And these days they're kind of almost more insidious, I find, than they used to be because there's a pretense now that conversation about weight is about health um, when often it's really not. Um, and we still think that thin is best and that thin is powerful and that thin is beautiful. Um, and unfortunately, this week there was a viral article from The Cut or New York Magazine um, about Ozempic. Now, I, I this has actually come up previously on the mailbag episode in the Patreon. So if you're if you listen to that, then you may already be familiar with kind of some of my thoughts around this. But I want to talk about this article specifically because Ozempic is a word that I'd never heard before until about maybe six months ago. Um, and it is a drug that was developed to treat type 1 diabetes. Um, and one of the side effects of it is that it suppresses appetite. It makes people feel full for longer and have less of an interest in food. So it has started to be prescribed to people for weight loss functions. And there are also other drugs um, with different names, uh, but who work kind of along the same lines that have become very popular um, in America and internationally. Um, and the cut article that came out this week was really to me proved just what I what I thought um you know the, a lot of the dialogue about it online has been people complaining about the fact that there's a shortage of some of these drugs and that actual diabetics aren't able to access them as a result of them being used for weight loss and you know I mean I think that sometimes w maybe a weight loss medication might be the appropriate medical course of action for some people um but what my perception was based on what I've been reading was that actually a lot of the people who were taking these drugs for the purpose of weight loss, and some of them are getting them in a kind of legally nefarious ways, um, are people who are already quite thin, but who just want to keep the extra 10 pounds off or whatever. Um, I want to read you a little bit from the article because I, I actually don't know if you should read it uh, because I, I'm not sure it's great for the brain. Um, but I couldn't... I couldn't avoid it really um so basically there's a, a, a woman in the article who's spoken to who is taking um these weight loss injections and she is an actor and i'm gonna read it f for you now she's just not as hungry which makes her not as anxious during busy periods when she may be able to closely monitor or prepare her food and get to the gym during busy periods when she may not be able to closely monitor or prepare her food and get to the gym daily, the Ozempic takes the nearly full-time job of body maintenance off her mind. Before Ozempic, she'd hold up in her hotel on film shoots, juice cleansing to fit into her costumes. Now, she says, you can eat one and a half meals a day and then you're kind of hungry at night, but it's not terrible. You can drink some tea with magnesium and maybe take a Xanax and get to sleep. When she was growing up, Alison says, in my household, we lived to eat. Food was an excursion. Food was a reward. Food was everything. You're eating one meal and talking about what you're going to eat at the next meal. I almost feel like this drug allows me to be casual about food in a way that always felt culturally alien to me. I can have just one bite or two bites or three. I can really relate to what Alison is describing there because I will never forget that when I was sick with cancer... Um, when I was really sick with cancer before I was diagnosed, I completely lost my appetite. And I cannot tell you the weird relief and like superiority that I felt 
having spent my whole life kind of hoping and wishing that I could be someone who just like wasn't that, you know, didn't really care about food. Um, I finally was. And I, so I completely understand what she's talking about. That feeling of like, mm, I don't really feel like eating. Um, it is something that is culturally kind of lauded and praised. Um, when the reality is, you know, food is meant to be joy and comfort and celebration. Like it's that's not a bad thing. People kind of pretend that food used you know used to be only about function and and energy and you know calories in so that you could work on the farm or whatever. But that's not the case. People have been gathering around tables and sharing food as moments of like intimacy, connection and celebration since biblical times. Like it is not a bad thing to enjoy food. And yet we have created a culture where being able to escape from that joy and that pleasure and it, putting yourself in a position where you don't want that anymore is powerful because we have decided that being thin is the most important thing, that you should be thin at all costs. It will make you feel so good that you won't care that you've cut off this entire joyful aspect of your life. And, you know, the reality is what's what's being referred to there by Alison and by lots of people in the article you know, is starving yourself. So what they're talking about is making starving yourself tolerable via this drug, which is being prescribed by doctors. (laughs) And I think that that just betrays the true feelings of some medical professionals, you know, and obviously it's not all medical professionals, but there are medical professionals in the States, and I'm not sure if it's happening here in Ireland, I don't know, but who are prescribing these medications to already thin people who don't even have, you know, don't have a medical need in terms of diabetes, but also don't have a medical need in terms of weight because it's better to be thin at all costs. You know, the article asks, weren't we supposed to have moved on from this? Like, haven't we moved into a more body positive era? We have more diversity in the media. We see different types of bodies represented more than... You know, certainly 20, 30 years ago, but I think the reality is if you ask any fat person, they won't be surprised by this because it hasn't gone away. It has never gone away, that feeling that if you were just thin, you would be better off, that you would have more opportunities, that you would get better medical treatment, that your life would be easier and better. And so when I say you never get to the finishing line, if you're trying to have a positive journey with your body image, this is why. Because these messages are everywhere. And all it takes is for a quote unquote miracle drug to appear for everyone's true feelings to be absolutely betrayed. That like some doctors will think it's okay if you starve yourself for a while. Like no big deal. I mean, Where is the conversation about what your body requires in terms of being nourished, in terms of its actual health? Where are the tests for whether your body is healthy? (laughs) Like, you know, I had to have um, some tests ahead of getting a prescription for my medication for the ADHD because of the type of medication that it is. So I had an ECG to check my heart. I had my blood pressure taken. I had all of those things. Those are barometers of actual health, you know, And, and despite the fact that I live in a big body, I am healthy. Everything is in the normal range. You know, there's no issue there. So like why if if even if you look at this as as something that might be appropriate for some people medically in terms of weight, you know, where why are those tests not being done? Why are we just deciding arbitrarily based on kind of numbers on a scale who 
what losing weight is or isn't important to. And the reason is because it's an aesthetic thing. It's not about health. It's about aesthetics. And it's so upsetting to read in black and white the reality in this article, you know, that the fact is that people are willing to sacrifice their health. They're willing to sacrifice large amounts of money. They're willing to sacrifice the joy and the comfort of food to be thin because thin is still the most important and powerful thing you can be. It's heartbreaking. And I don't have an answer um, really of how to get away from this because, you know, as I said, the article says that we're supposed to have progressed away from this kind of thinking. And unfortunately, we really haven't. Um, what I would say is if you are someone who struggles with body image day to day and who finds this really difficult, particularly if you are in a thin body really work hard to filter what is coming into your life in terms of imagery, in terms of conversation. Filter out anyone on your social media feed who doesn't make you feel good about yourself. Get rid of all diet talk in your life. If you have to say to your mother, I don't want to talk about diet anymore, or my body is not a topic of conversation anymore, say it. If you have to say it in the office, and I know it can be an absolute nightmare, say it. You can say, you know, I really struggle with food, actually, and all of the conversation about this is makes it more difficult for me. So I'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't talk about it around me. You know, if it's a Monday morning and people are talking about how bad they were over the weekend, get up and leave the room. Like, you don't have to subscribe to this kind of chat. And, you know, really, we deserve to treat our bodies tenderly, with great care. They serve us so well. They are not for show. Their purpose is to facilitate us in having beautiful lives. And part of those beautiful lives is beautiful meals of people you love and glasses of wine on a Friday night, potentially, or ice cream, you know, on a Sunday, whatever it is. You know, we should be living full and nourished lives, not sacrificing everything to be thin. It is crazy. And I just really wanted to talk about that on the podcast this week and to to provide, I guess, a kind of counterpoint to a lot of the chatter that happened this week, which was almost unavoidable on the internet. Um, and I'm sorry if I've now brought this to your attention for the first time and you haven't heard about it before, but I feel like everywhere I turn at the moment, it's there and it's getting in on me. And uh, part of me helping myself is to, to kind of talk about it. And hopefully it will help you as well to, to kind of really get a bit of perspective on this because it, you know, no one should be thin at all costs because the costs are too much. Okay, let's keep moving and let's get into this week's news with the glorious Eva Moore. Well, it is time to catch up on the week's news and we are lucky enough to be joined by journalist Eva Moore uh, to bring us through the week's stories. Aoife, um, lots going on this week. There is w- w- two stories that are, n- no, three three good news stories this week or relatively positive stories that's a turn up for the books isn't it spring has sprung and it's also (laughs) my birthday month I feel like we're manifesting good energy that's it it's I I completely believe that that's what it is um so we'll get stuck in and let's start with the Windsor framework which is a phrase that people might have heard bandied around this week but if they weren't paying attention what's going on there the Windsor framework sounds like some sort of like secret deal to get rid of Harry and Meghan well that's what um, I immediately thought when I saw it I was like hang on what are what are they up to now <laughs> did you see they got evicted sorry okay um I did Brexit <laughs> so after four months well the Brits are saying four months it's not been four months it's actually been like seven years but anyway after four months of intensive talks between the EU and the UK 
in the long running, very long running Brexit row, there is now a deal to replace the Northern Ireland Protocol. It'll no longer be the Northern Ireland Protocol. It'll be called the Windsor Framework. So this deal, which was hammered out between Brussels and London, well, it's a lot of it is just to do with trade. So the issue was that the Northern Ireland Protocol, many unionists felt and some conservatives felt that it separated Northern Ireland from the mainland UK because yeah. it put a border down the Irish Sea. So what they're going to do now is they're going to have red lanes and green lanes and it cuts down the amount of checks that's going on goods coming into Northern Ireland. So if they are going to Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland only, they're going to the green line. And if they're headed for the EU, which is the Republic of Ireland, they're going to the red line. So it cuts down on a serious amount of checks. There won't be issues around things like medicine or pets mm-hmm. or dry goods, like say like pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, there still will be red tape. But it will basically cut down on a lot of it. Now, I would say the issue with the protocol, it did create some paperwork, but it put Northern Ireland in a very good position because it meant that we were open to the EU single market Mm -hmm. and trading with Northern Ireland. That has not changed. Um, Without any hint of self-awareness whatsoever, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, came to Belfast, the Coca-Cola factory in Belfast. Did you know there's a Coca-Cola factory in Belfast? I did not. No. I do know. Yeah. He went to the Coca-Cola factory and laid out how good the Windsor framework was and said, you know, Northern Ireland is the most, you know, exciting place to trade in the world at the minute. Mm. And... It's because, you know, these are open to the UK market and open to the EU market without any hint of self-awareness that this is actually what the Britain has given up yeah. through Brexit. Yeah. Um, it has become clearer and clearer now that the Brits have made a massive mistake with Brexit. We always knew that. They're starting to realise it now. Mm. But what it does is that it removes the barrier. Well, they say it removes the barrier for the DUP coming back into Stormont. So the DUP have been boycotting Stormont because they have issues with the Northern Ireland Protocol. Mm. The Northern Ireland Protocol has now been replaced with this framework. Mm. The DUP have seven rules that they say need to be passed before they will go back into Stormont, and they have not yet made a decision. So all the other parties have backed this. Now, I would also point out that all the other parties also backed the Northern Ireland Protocol. So the Conservative Party have backed it. However, Rishi Sunak still has to convince his more right-wing Brexiteer part of it. There are people who are stuck in their oar. And for instance, Boris Johnson mm. called the DUP the day it was published and told them to beware why anyone would take political advice from Boris Johnson is far beyond me. Yeah. The notion that Boris Johnson gives a shit about the people of Northern Ireland is also laughable. So we're kind of stuck in this limbo now. Mm. The DUP are under a lot of pressure to approve or give their approval and return to Stormont. But the big deadline, of course, is the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement of the 7th of April. And it'll be very depressing and a very bad indictment of politics in the North if there is no Stormont sitting. So I am hoping against all hope we will hear at some point this month that the DUP have put their issues aside with the protocol and what the framework and we'll come back to Sarment. Okay, so one month. It's a, they've got I hope, one month. I hope that was clear. <laughs> I think it was very clear. Fair play to you. Um, now, let's talk about Holly Cairns uh, because this week Holly Cairns became the leader of the Social Democrats. The youngest leader of an Irish political party. Mm-hmm. And a woman. Mm-hmm. And a farmer. 
<laughs> okay, so Holly Cairns, the TD for Cork Southwest, became leader of the Social Democrats on Wednesday. She was the only person who put themselves forward. She ran uncontested. The other TDs have done nothing but spoke of her praises and said she's the best person for the job. She made her maiden speech as leader in the doll yesterday during leaders' questions where she led leaders' questions for the Social Democrats and she said that she was part of the first generation that would be worse off than their parents. Taoiseach, um, I'm a member of the first ever generation who will be worse off than our parents. This didn't happen by accident. Political choices made by successive governments have resulted in the aspirations and dreams of an entire generation being either diminished or destroyed. Nowhere is the political betrayal of young people more evident than in the housing disaster. Skyrocketing rents and exorbitant house prices have resulted in the collapse of home ownership rates. We are now at the bottom third of EU countries when it comes to home ownership. You told a recent meeting of your parliamentary party you were alarmed to see that figure. But Taoiseach, were you surprised? Because all of this happened on Fianna Gael's watch. The share of 25 to 34 year olds who own their own home more than halved between 2004 and 2019, plummeting from 60% to just 27%. People can no longer afford to buy a home because they are spending all of their money on rent. Between 2012 and early last year, rents increased by a staggering 95%, while prices in the economy increased by just 11%. And rents are still increasing. There appears to be no upper limit. You know, she made the point that it's not just about the actual property, about the bricks and mortar. She said it's, you know, people's adult lives are on hold. People aren't mm. having families. Mm. Um, happy relationships are breaking down. Lack of hope, despair. How much longer um, do you have to wait? And then she made the point, Fina Gael have been government for Holly Cairns' entire adult life. Yeah, it's wild, isn't that it? That is wild. Um, so she said it was a social catastrophe and so and just laid out basically that Fine Gael were at the heart of all this mm-hmm. and that um, you know what is he going to do the Taoiseach says it he was determined that the state would turn the corner yeah sure on housing um, it's, but he acknowledged that young people were being let down but it, it was Holly's big moment um, I think everyone she was on the Tonight Show last night as well mm. and what I find quite um, different is that when she was asked a question she didn't have the answer and she just said I don't, I don't know she was mm. like I'll come back to you when I've looked at it she was like I hate when politicians don't ask the question or don't answer the yes. question and won't admit she that they just don't know like sometimes yeah. you don't know something and yes of course sometimes politicians get into big trouble for not knowing things that they should know but like it is also okay sometimes to say I need to check that like, let me check that. Yeah. Like, and a lot of the narrative around it has been whether the Sock Thames would team up with Labour because people see them as very similar partners and mm. uh, parties. And obviously, Roisin Shortall was once in Labour. Mm. Um, Holly rolled it out and said, nope, no major is ha- happening. Mm. And she was also asked about going into government uh, with other parties. And she said she would speak to everybody. She'd be open to everybody. But considering the policies of Fine Gael, it would be very hard to see her party going into government with again yeah so that was that was that (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting like I think a lot of younger people um feel a connection to Holly Cairns because she has consistently spoken about issues that I think younger people feel are important 
um, in the doll and in the media. And, you know, I think this first kind of statement in the doll definitely represents that because, you know, we are absolutely suffocating out here and lives are being ruined. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reality of it. People in my generation and younger. um, And I consider myself very privileged, but still my life is being seriously affected by the housing crisis and um and the the situation that we all find ourselves in i just think it was interesting like i i saw a t- i think she tweeted a clip of of what she'd said and immediately there were men in her reply saying worst off worst off do the maths do, just look at the numbers and i was like even leo varagar didn't deny that like even he yeah. was like yeah look i haven't and thrown I in think- the towel on that like he he accepts it no you know that's just the reality like you know if you look at what people were earning in previous generations in proportion to like what housing prices were it's it's we are wildly at a disadvantage but there will always be people who will want to put her in her place because she's young and because she's a woman yeah and i would also say to anyone listening to this and anyone watching holly it has been four years since holly cairns knocked a door for repeat and now she's the leader of the social democrats Mm. she got into politics because of repeat she became a councillor. She got into her council seat by one vote. So don't ever think that your vote doesn't matter. She got elected yeah. to the county council by one vote. She became a TD. She was the last person elected in her constituency. Uh, she is the only woman in a county of 18 male TDs. There are six times as many men called Michael as there are women mm. in Cork elected as TDs. So... For women and young women, especially listening to this, I think her story is something that we could all definitely be in, inspired by whatever your politics. Mm, I agree. Um, okay, well, I guess congrats to Holly Kearns. Looking forward to seeing um, what you do. Always good to see a woman succeeding and uh, taking a leadership role in in any capacity. Um, okay, now there was a fire at Wexford Gen- General Hospital this week. What happened there? Yeah, it started in a plant room. I would just say at the outset, um, there was a pretty serious fireworks for General Hospital yesterday, but there has been no casualties yeah. um, and no one was hurt. So it's important to say it at the outset. Um, the It started in a plant room on the fourth floor and more than 200 patients had... A plant had... room? Yeah, it doesn't mean like plants. It means... No, like, okay, um, that's genuinely <laughs> where my brain went. Okay, um, a, room of, a room of equipment. equipment okay. An equipment room, yeah. Mm. Um. And yeah, more than 200 patients had to be evacuated. Um, oh, there's tricky. only 280 beds in the hospital. Um, so yeah, they have been transferred to um, hospitals over Leinster and Munster um, and fire engines and stuff obviously rushed to the scene. Um, Stephen Donnelly was on Morning Ireland this morning and hailed not only the firefighters, but also the staff mm. in the hospital. Um, they basically moved really quickly obviously there was like very well thought out and very well trained fire plans in the hospital in order to get patients especially you know there's people in intensive Mm. care and there's an emergency department you know people who might not be as mobile um Mm. as others and able to get them all out of the hospital without any casualties you know this could have been an absolute tragedy yeah um the hospital now is going to be shut. Uh, parts of it are going to be shut for a good while. You know, Stephen Donnelly said there was severe, you know, smoke and fire damage to the fourth floor. Um, it didn't reach the emergency department, but things like the maternity ward, all those patients have been um, transferred to our 
hospitals um and he was actually saying today that even the staff today you know still showed up at hospital it's likely they'll have to be transferred as well because this is going to have a fall-on effect to the rest of the hospitals where the patients have been well this is the thing isn't it like you know we know that the health service is kind of at capacity Mm. as it is so um i suppose at least if the if the staff can be distributed um then that would be helpful um Okay, uh, well, thank God that that wasn't worse than it could have been. Um, And now let's talk about the Northern Lights because the Northern Lights were visible in Ireland this week. Has that that happened before? I don't know. Sorry, that's probably an unfair question to ask you. More importantly, the Northern Lights were visible in Derry. Okay, sorry. Uh Obviously, that is the most important aspect of this. The most (laughs) important. Yes, so the Northern Lights... I'm not in the science, so this is going to be pretty bad. So it's like a big red and green. You can't see me, but I'm waving. There's a big green and red glow in the sky. People usually have to travel to like Finland or Iceland to see this. Um, but it mm. was visible from Ireland this week. Um, it's called Aurora Borealis, which I thought was Sleeping Beauty's name. But we'll go on. So... <laughs> Oh my God. For once, yeah. I know more than you. <laughs> so, anyway. Still, carry on. It's very I'm enjoyable. Have to read this out. I'm going to have to read this out because I'm not good at science. Okay. According to the UK Met Office, the Aurora sightings were visible a little further south than usual because this is just word salad. A coronal hole, a coronal hole, high stream, high speed stream arrived. Combined with a rather fast coronal mass injection. Okay. Do you know what? We don't need to go into the science, actually. It's, it doesn't matter. But what matters is if someone My says to you was, this week... It was stunning. <laughs> it was stunning. And if someone says to you this weekend, did you see about the Northern Lights? You can say, oh, yeah, they could see them in Donegal. And Derry, obviously. That's and that's Derry all you need to know, Sligo, really. It was beautiful. <laughs> it's very I unusual. Have- um, it is very unusual for it to happen here. It's to do with high pressure airflow, blah blah blah. Coronal mass ejection. A coronal mass Boy. ejection. Um, we don't know. We're never gonna. We, me and Aoife, are not gonna be able to explain to you why. But what we can tell you is that people did see the Northern Lights from Ireland this week, and that's probably all you need to know for your conversation this weekend. Unless you're with scientific people, in which case you are probably a scientific person yourself, and you probably know more about this than we ever will. And um, so that's fine. We've acknowledged that that occurrence. <laughs> Listen, people got the Insta content out of it and that's all that they needed. Exactly. That's that's 2023. Okay, and then finally, um, let's talk about this new campaign launched by the Guardi this week in order to help victims of, and I, I think this is the first time that I've seen this word, sextortion. Sextortion. Sextortion, I think, used to be kind of a word also used for revenge porn, yeah. porn or image-based sexual abuse. Yeah. So, Sextortion is a bit different in the way that we know, obviously, about revenge porn or image-based sexual abuse. But this is a wee bit different in that it's it's a hidden camera or people recorded without their knowledge. Mm. So what happens is it's a crime of cyber extortion and involves blackmailing the victim with Mm. having intimate information, images, clips shared without consent. So... It doesn't have to be for money. The blackmail can be, you know, maybe an intimate partner saying you can't break up with me. Mm. Or I think a lot of people think it has to be financial gain or for money or 
whatever mm-hmm. in order to, for it to be a crime and that's not the case if your ex is saying if you don't get back with me if you don't do this thing I'm going to share your picture that is also a crime and the Gardaí mm-hmm. were very keen to put that across the people that a lot of the victims don't actually know that this is illegal right um they said that we want people to know that it does not matter what age, gender, background, qualification, profession, or personal circumstances you are, and this can happen to anyone, mm. and there's no shame or embarrassment. They said that they know there are victims experiencing this in silence, um, but the guards are asking people to come forward. And they're, the campaign is part of like shifting public attitude as well. Mm. Um, so it's not like you shouldn't have done it, you shouldn't have taken the pictures, all that really judgmental. No, it's that behaving this say. way is a crime. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it's a new awareness campaign. You'll see ads online. You'll see ads on TV. It'll be obviously mostly targeted at young people. Mm. Um, someone was convicted of this in 2021. So the perpetrator um, was convicted of committing sextortion of a woman in her 30s. And under Coco's law, um, he was prosecuted. There have been 72 prosecutions related to 49 investigations mm. so far. So they are able to do this. Um, one woman in 2021 said that an intimate image of her was captured on a hidden camera in the shower Ugh. and circulated without her consent. A man was prosecuted and sentenced to 12 months imprisonment. Mm. Um, and same thing, this is more image-based sexual abuse, but in May 2021, an image video had been shared without consent and the man was prosecuted and sentenced to six months. So As he should be. I thought this was quite interesting. So... Um, the statistics showed of their the Gardaí's 471 incidents, mm. 82% of it included male victims mm. and almost 30% of them were in the 18 to 24 age group. Now they have said a lot of this could be LGBTQ people who aren't out and mm. that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So they've just asked for... Um, people to be aware of the warning signs and to keep all look out for them. Mm. And there is a uh, a website called hotline.ie, which is the national center responsible for combating illegal content online. And they have received nearly 700 reports of intimate image abuse in 2022. And they have a 93% successful removal rate. So if your picture has ended up somewhere, you can go to hotline.ie and they will help you. And it takes on average zero to three days okay. so please don't suffer yeah so you can, you can get this sorted this is the message this is the message that needs to get out this is not something that you have to just live with this is not something that you have to just accept this is something that there can be a consequences for and that b they can actually take action on so like do not this is happening to loads of people hundreds of people across yeah. the country so don't feel alone and don't feel powerless because there is support there um, hotline.ie seems to be the first place to go and don't be afraid to go yeah. to the guards like don't be afraid yeah. because it's not acceptable they're, for people to do this yeah they're trained in this now and mm. it's, it's against the law it's not like you're going to be sent away you know Coco's law was brought in for this um, yeah. and so, yeah, I just, I know so many people that this has happened to mm. you. It's just anecdotally when I was at school and it wasn't against the law then. Yeah. So I'm just, people really need to know that you can go to the guards and yeah. you can get it taken down. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much, Aoife Moore. Have a great week, thank my you. friend. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Now, St. Patrick's Festival is just around the corner and I have to say I'm pretty impressed with the way that St. Patrick's Festival is modernising and diversifying. And this year, Mother is taking over an entire event at 
St. Patrick's Festival. So I thought I would have a chat to Cormac Cashman and Lisa Connell, who are the promoters of Mother, co-organizers of Mother, and they have done just some spectacular work at creating fun for us over the last number of years. We had a great chat about the event itself and what we can expect, and also about safe spaces for queer people, and also the role that straight people play within those spaces and how we can go about things in the best possible way. Enjoy. Well, Lisa and Cormac, it is such a pleasure to be talking to you. I'm such a fan of your work with Mother and I think um, it has become such a staple of so many people's social life. What does it feel like to have created something that means so much to people? Well, firstly, Louise, we love you. Um, We love love this podcast so much, so we're delighted to be here and we uh, love your work in general. Um, What does it mean to us I mean, how does it feel? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right. Nice. I'm getting too old for it. Yeah, (laughs) and no, we love it. Obviously, it's so what a joyous thing to do. Like, what a what a great job, and what a what a a gratifying experience to put on really fun parties for people and get to see them enjoying themselves and letting loose. And um, yeah, it's, it's great. Like it's it's work of being like surrounded by our community, having a bop. Yeah. Like it's pretty good. Like we feel pretty lucky. Yeah. Because obviously you guys have the weekly event uh, as it were, but there's so much more now because, you know, people, you know, you are such a staple of so many Irish festivals. Like I don't know where I would go late at night at a festival anymore. If I wasn't going to mother in some forest somewhere. Um, and then, of course, this year, as part of St. Patrick's Festival, you guys are running a really exciting event called Culture Club. Tell us a little bit about that. So Culture Club <laughs> Culture Club is our uh, love letter to the Irish queer dance floor. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we were really interested in where queerness and Irish identity and pride intersect and how creatively there are so many amazing queer and ally performers who the, who we who we love and admire and we thought you know if we were going to do a big old party at Collins Barracks for St Patrick's Eve you know what would it need to look and feel like and then we really just decided actually it would need to just have all the most amazing and exciting local talent that we could uh that we that were free and were available um and you know even our main stage alone like Elaine May is putting on such a specifically um, brilliant bespoke show for the night with May Kay and Sinead White, who are her frequent collabor- mm. collaborators, but also with some really exciting up and coming new talent as well. So that, uh, yeah, we're really excited to be able to present so much amazing talent. And St. Th- Patrick's Eve has been always, sorry, it's always been such a massive night for clubbing. Um, yeah. In- it's always been huge um, and then especially on the queer scene as well it's always been a massive night so this just felt like kind of a an interesting progression when St. Patrick's Festival approached us last year about doing just a tent at it mm. that went really well um, and we figured you know grow it into kind of a bigger piece this year and just mm. do a, a full festival evening. And I think it's it's really cool to see St. Patrick's Festival which you know is obviously big business for tourism and stuff because we have so many people from around the world who come to Ireland for St. Patrick's Day to see them kind of branching out into you know and and creating or giving you guys the opportunity to create a queer space or doing things that aren't necessarily what you would think of when you think of diddly Ireland which is what a lot of people associate with St. Patrick's Day. I think it's quite cool as well because around the world, like especially in America, you know, like drag shows are being banned. Mm-hmm. LGBT groups aren't allowed to march in the St. Patrick's Day parade in certain areas, even in the main one in New York. I don't know yeah. if that's changed. But 
No, it's still, is that still yeah, the case? Like, yeah. Like what the fuck? And in Ireland, who you know started St Patrick's Festival, yeah, we're leading by opening our festival weekend with a big queer show. So it kind of mm. just is showing that that's not what Irishness is about, and Irishness includes queerness. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. You're right. Because and I think that's probably why it seems so impressive, because unfortunately, some celebrations internationally are so traditional isn't even the right word. I mean, like, I suppose, old fashioned and like dated that to see something so progressive happening in Ireland is super exciting. And so I can't wait. I already bought my ticket. And so can I ask you, though, because I have seen a lot of conversation around safe spaces for queer people at this point everywhere in the world. Um, You know, we've seen, unfortunately, you know, some really upsetting incidents of homophobic violence lately. And I can understand that safe spaces are probably more important than ever. Um, What's what's your take on that, Lisa? Yeah, uh, we take that part of our job incredibly seriously and um, Cormac and I you know we go to mother every week we we work with a really great team of staff who across every kind of area security cloakroom like we want people to feel supported and safe all the way through their evening mm. and you know that really does make a difference because you can have a great night out but then you can have a really crappy encounter with either a cloakroom attendant or a member of security mm. and actually it can really ruin your your whole evening yeah. um so we really we really think about those moments and those uh, experience points throughout an evening and mm. um, and then obviously just the very basic reality of we know that homophobia, transphobia, racism is still very much alive and kicking. And so we understand the power of creating a space where LGBTQ plus folk do actually feel safe and they do feel that they can, you know, we can see one another, we can let off a bit of steam that um, we can trust in that in that space. And, and, you know, Cormac spoke to the global context. You know, I'm really I'm really frightened to see some of the state uh, legislatures making moves to, you know, come after uh, drag performers, drag story time. Like those are all really frightening things because actually it shows how how important those spaces actually are, you know. Mm, yeah. I mean, I can't get over that. Like every time I read one of those reports, was it Tennessee this week that was banning drag yeah. shows? Like banning drag? Like it's just so wild to me. Like I, I can't get my head around it at all. Yeah, it's a really, you know, and it's been used uh, without getting like super extra bonus intense. <laughs> you know, it is being used. It's, it's being used as a wedge issue with by the far right because mm. they really want people to be afraid of one another. Mm. Um, and as we know, drag performers and queer performers actually can expand our understanding and our enjoyment of mm all of our different kinds of gender expressions and, and our identities. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really been weaponized in a scary way, but what we try and do, and that's actually why culture club, you know, we've got a, a, a gorgeous army of different types of drag performers who'll, who'll take, uh, you know, who'll be on across the four stages. And we really value that and, mm-hmm. and place it an importance on it. Like how proud we are that our very own Panty Bliss is on, national television every week dancing with the stars she'll be on the main stage with mm-hmm. her partner Jen, uh something so yeah like we we really uh all we can do i think is to counteract that is to just actually make sure we're having extra joy and extra mm-hmm. queer 
kind of visibility and representation so yeah. important it's kind of funny isn't it because I was just thinking there that you know in America there's probably never been more people who are familiar with drag as an art because obviously RuPaul's Drag Race has completely crossed genre and has become this really mainstream program and so people who would never have maybe understood drag or known drag or even seen drag now are being exposed to it and so that means that there's loads more people who are fans of drag and like appreciate the art that is drag but I wonder if it's you know as well you know there's lots of explanations but I wonder if part of that is the consequence is that people are scared that you know more people are are kind of cool with it and that's not okay I mean I think it all comes from fear and um, this kind of these kind of I mean literal phobias so of course it is um, mm-hmm. and I wonder if the kind of mainstreamification of drag is is at the root of some of this backlash it's awful mm-hmm. well I imagine it's driving the fire ride crazy oh, to see mm-hmm. it so popular and so yeah. kind of beloved mm-hmm. but but I mean Putin's you know uh Russia, the, the story there being sold is that, um, you know, the West has kind of gone gone to hell and is beyond saving. And, and Putin's very focused on queer visibility as a an example to his people of how how the West has actually mm. lost its mind. So it's, you know, it is, it's weaponized basically on on all sides. Yeah. Listen, that makes it all sound very intense, but it's going to be a very fun party. <laughs> no, well, I was just, I was just going to say, like, the thing is, like, the world's on fire. <laughs> I, but I'm kind of like, you know, maybe he's just jealous because queer people have the best fun. <laughs> like, you do have we the are, best parties. We are good at parties. Yeah. It's true. We are. It's like our, it's like our form super, of escapism. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, yeah. it's always been clear that the queer community know how to have fun. Like, no one could ever possibly deny that. Um, I think it's. That all ties back into it being a safe space. You mm, know what I mean? Like, yeah. Outside of those safe spaces, you're faced with the harsh reality of everything we just talked about yeah you know and within those spaces you try and create somewhere where you don't have to think about those things yeah Yeah. can I ask you because I've seen recently um a lot of discussion I've seen it actually in lots of different places I've seen it on TikTok I've seen it on Twitter I've seen articles written about it I've seen people debating it about whether queer spaces are you know should be welcoming of straight people or whether straight people should be bringing themselves into queer spaces I'm interested to know what your take is on that um, well, we are, uh, you know, mother has always been a pretty like we're a, we're a queer knight, very un, very very clearly and proudly that we've always uh, welcomed folks. We ask that people are signed and that they're, you know, we we try to, uh, you know, not get too hung up on identity, but we really try and ask people to question. You know, if if you're an LGBT person and you want a big night out with your ten straight mates, maybe mother isn't isn't the place because then you're bringing in a really particular kind of amount of folks. Um, so so we just try and ask people to be a little bit cognizant of that. Um, uh, well, it's like it's not the place, you know, for. 15 straight girls or guys to go together for like yeah you no know, you get a lot of kind of hen nights trying to come in and you're like what the fuck he's doing like this yeah. is a queer space it's not like a zoo or a place for straight people to come for their night out it's a queer space mm. if you're with people cool but if you're just yeah. walking in with a group of friends it's not really the place to go i don't mm. think yeah you know, like there's, it's it's kind of important to keep queer spaces as queer as possible because and it all goes back to that safe space thing it's 
you know, it has to be a space that's for queer people. and that Yeah. And also something I'd like to raise for, for within the community as well is that sometimes queer relationships can look straight, you know, yeah. um, so also being careful not to raise uh, by folk or to, you know, be minimizing of maybe trans relationships yeah. or, you know, so it's really kind of um, that's that's something we try and be kind of cognizant of as well. It's like queerness sometimes is is very visibly obvious but sometimes it isn't so I think generally what we try to foster in the club is everybody be signed to each other you so know don't make assumptions or you know like for example our bathrooms um are gender neutral on Saturday we yeah. you know people use whichever bathroom uh they want to and like it's you know it took a moment for people to be like oh okay that's that's what we're doing but now it's completely you know there isn't a problem because people mm. are it's become very normalized that if you go and try to if you know if you want to use the stall you may see multiple types of presentations of gender yeah. in that space that's okay so yeah we just like we just try and remind everyone to be signed that's actually the bottom line yeah on it, yeah you know yeah um, that is why we do the door ourselves as well it's important to kind of chat to and vet everybody that goes in if you don't recognize someone you need to have a chat because it goes back to the safety thing of like you know yeah you flag oh you know this is a queer space a trans inclusive space and you get some look on their face that kind of suggests that they either are smirking or mm. are like oh fuck it we'll try it and like mm, maybe you won't try it maybe go somewhere yeah, else. yeah. Just keeping, that, keeping that space safe for the people who need it most is, is the most important thing about it yeah I think you're I think your point Lisa about like asking yourself why you're there is important because I mean I've seen it myself where um, you know, you can see that there is a, it, and it is often women that there's like a group of women who are kind of, oh, you know, I've seen it in the George in particular. We'll go to the George and we'll like, you know, we'll see the gays or like, you know, we'll see like it's like a, a spectator sport or something, and that's yeah, very yeah. different to being like I'm gonna have a party with my friends, uh, some of whom are queer, oh, some of whom aren't, or oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know because I know privacy. I've seen this conversation over and over again as well that privacy is really important in queer spaces because of course not everyone's out and not everyone is comfortable um so do you have a policy with like cameras or photos or anything like that or would you just ask people to be kind of mindful of it i think we don't really police people's phones in the club i think no. you know photos of yourself and your friends and like the light show that's happening because we have an incredible light show you that do. Happens where <laughs> that. so like you know videos of that are fine but i think when it comes to like just taking photos of you know if it's you and your mates grand that's all beyond that, that okay. yeah, yeah. Beyond i mean that, no. We like to think that people are fairly and, you know, like, thankfully, we, you know, generally uh, it's been fine. People understand that um, that, you know, consent is really key in terms of taking a photo of somebody and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, again, the thing is we in our kind of talking to people on social media, we just again, like be signed, think about in all your behaviors and interactions, how would you like to be treated? Yeah. And that tends to obviously photography and stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah. So take a photo of your fab outfit, take a photo of your friend's fab outfit, take a photo of the light show. Yeah. Don't take photos of strangers. I think it's actually a good rule in every area of yeah. life. It's Just maybe don't yeah. take photos of strangers. I <laughs> mean, like, what are you doing yeah. if you are taking photos of strangers? There's nothing good, nothing good, unless it's like 
this person is really hot and I want to look at them again tomorrow on my own on my private time. Maybe that's not even good, actually. Maybe that's, as I said that out loud, I was like, actually, no, don't do that. That's harassment, Louise. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's get back to Culture Club, though. Four stages, it's like, it's a day. So like, what are some of the highlights for you guys? What are things that you're really looking forward to? I can't wait for the Gailey, which is the huge queer Kaylee that PJ Kirby is uh, is calling. Uh, that one's going to be a lot of fun. Really I would watch PJ Kirby do literally anything. I mean, literally like, knitting on stage. I'm truly. Watching, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elaine May, very excited about that entire show. Yeah. Um, and um, we've got so really the mother uh, crew of DJs there. We've given them basically one of the tents for the whole night because we realized that, you know, um, if you come to a mother party, the mother DJs are obviously a key ingredient. Mm. And the whole reason that we're still here all these years later, because they're so brilliant. Um, and yeah, we, so we basically said that we wanted a space for them to just DJ all evening and they're going to have some gorgeous drag performances with some of the queens that we do other shows with mm-hmm. and then also we have our beautiful Oink dancers so Oink is a group called Out in Kink and so they're all fabulous so, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Wow Siri Siri is kink naming right now, guys. Um, But we have our yeah. So the (laughs) the arts and kink dancers um will be bringing all their fabulous uh uh, sartorial gorgeousness to to the proceedings. And then um in uh one of the other tents we've uh, the lovely Shanakiha, which is great. Um, I know you realize you asked us for our favorite things or whatever but I'm just naming all, but they're all no all but you're yeah. obviously excited about all of it no I'm excited too I think yeah. it's going to be amazing tickets are still available right yes they are fab yeah. you can get them on event right okay super well thank you so much Cormac and Lisa um, I really appreciate you educating us and uh, giving us the lowdown on the big party that everyone can expect on the 16th of March I cannot wait thank you Louise thank you Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
time to talk about these celebrities, my friend, and the world of entertainment. This week, I am joined by the absolutely gorgeous James O'Hagan. Well, it is a joy to once again be in the presence of LGBTQ plus activist James O'Hagan. How happy I am to have you here. I mean, it's always a pleasure to be in here. And it's always much more of a pleasure to be talking about these little stories rather than a lot of the stuff that I sadly get caught up talking about in my daily life. I was actually just going to say, is it like a little kind of holiday from... Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, oh, it is, Louise. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you holiday with me and with us, everybody who enjoys hearing you on the podcast. We've got lots to talk about in the world of entertainment this week, as always. I mean, the celebs, they never stop celebbing. No. Um, and it is, we are in the thick of award season and I for one am enjoying it are you do you know I, this I was thinking about this this feels like the first year in a long time and I mean I'm even excluding the, the sort of you know the, COVID years, of the, the yeah. pandemic where award season has felt like relevant and interesting mm. I've been engaged and caught up like there actually feels like this real interesting countdown to the Oscar I think it's because there's like lots of different names and the hat as to where it could go like yeah. you're seeing obviously Early on in the season, Banshees was kind of doing the business, was doing the thing, and um, to, to use the parlance. <laughs> of uh, the time. And now every, everything, everywhere, all at once seems to be really coming in. Yeah. And you've got some interesting categories. I have to say, so yeah, the, the 29th Annual Screen Actor Guild Award um, were held over uh, last weekend. My favorite thing about this was that it was not just for film, but also for TV. So yeah. it gave me another moment to sit with that gorgeous, glorious cast of the White Lotus. Oh, even yeah. just, even just in passing to see yeah. them there. It was, it was so wonderful to see. But I definitely feel like award season is, is kind of piqued my interest more this year than it has in a long time. Yeah. And you know, I think you hit on something there. There is something about like the Golden Globes and the Screen Actors Guild Awards where we get the TV people and the movie people together. Because it, it used to be that TV was kind of like, you know, a lower so kind of cast category yeah. or whatever but it's not like that anymore no absolutely and like to be fair I'm probably more animated and excited about the, the TV offerings like, I think across this uh, ceremony kind of Abbott, uh, Abbott Elementary Stranger Things Wednesday mm. and The White Lotus were all kind of like the big winners and they're like four series I really love and I've yeah. really enjoyed. I haven't seen any of the the, the best picture um, Oscar or best picture uh, nominations or any of the kind of big movies of this year yeah. because I just haven't had the time. It's terrible. I think I don't have the time to watch a two hour movie, but I will sit down and watch an eight <laughs> hour television program, no problem. But I think you're a good representation of where we are. Like you know, cinema is in trouble. Like people are not going to the films. To the films? To the film show. <laughs> yeah, go to the film People show. aren't going to the pictures uh, <laughs> like they used to. I mean, they aren't. And yeah. TV is so easily accessed now that, you know. Yeah, and like you, you, you were absolutely right then. I suppose a couple of years ago, TV was really looked down on. It was mm. that kind of just like trivial kind of background thing. It was just something that was like a bit sleazy and not really kind of like considered to be, have the value that cinema. Yeah. But like since that like golden age of TV has come around, like shows like, you know, Mad Men and The Sopranos have really changed that image. And now people yeah. are competing for that space in a way way that yeah. like they never were before and you're getting really like tv gives you an option to like really thoughtfully like pick out in an entertaining and concise way massive societal issues like abadell elementary i don't know if you've watched it yeah i have yeah it, it's like it is a it is a parks and rec kind of style funny uh entirely irreverent show but it's also really pointedly talking about the education system that exists in yeah. america so it's educating but which you don't maybe necessarily get the chance to do over the course of a two-hour movie so yeah. I, I really like that and i and i i did just in Enjoy the 
uh, the other major thing about this awards, is, of course, is the fact it's the first time that it's been streamed. Yeah. Rather than uh, rather than um, shown on television, which I think has been a brilliant move because it means you don't have that awkward moment of the forty seconds of like your speech is over now. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. No ads, no cutting people off, um, and uh, it was all there for anyone to watch on YouTube. Completely, and, and that allowed for some really beautiful moments, like uh, James Hong during the the um, the ensemble award for every, that everything everywhere all at once won. Uh, James Hong, who's a ninety four year old actor who's been working for the last. 50, 60 years, 70 years almost. He did his first uh, his his first uh, movie with, with Clark Gable, was able to speak about, I suppose, the the progress that has been seen and really kind of like talk like in, in, in quite a, a long and drawn out way about the sort of change that's happened in Hollywood. And obviously that was a theme across the night with sort of, you know, first award for an Asian lady in, in a in a uh, in a leading role, for first Asian man to win a, a supporting war, um, acting award. So it was just like it, throughout the night, it was a night of really important firsts. And then having that opportunity to not have the like the, those moments mm. have to be captured in like a really like brief acceptance speech it was nice to see that and obviously makes it much more accessible to people as well mm, yeah um i i'm loving it um so there were a couple of talking points that came out of uh, the sags and i think we'll start with aubrey plaza so aubrey plaza we know and love originally um i think a lot of us came to know her in parks and recreation yeah. she's a comedic actress she was of course one of the absolute stars of the white lotus Completely. so she was on the stage when the white lotus accepted um their award for best ensemble and there were loads the stories afterwards that she was like really angry and there was all this like dirt happening oh, this was such a blown out of proportion story so yeah i mean from what we understand happened she was taking some heat on the stage around her sort of marvelous marvel of mechanics uh michael was it michael kors made the dress i can't remember who made the dress whoever made that stunning dress it was sort of a crossover yeah michael kors yeah uh, brown sequins brown has it never looked a, so elegant honestly it was not dissimilar to jody marsh's um belts across the boobs <laughs> look I am still waiting to see that redone somewhere in a more elegant fashion. And maybe this is that occasion. Yeah, if you, you can are right. cast your eyes back to the belts <laughs> around the boobs, like that's the shape we're talking about, although obviously elevated yeah. and with more coverage. Um, but yeah, so I mean, apparently the designer noted that underboob was a feature of yeah. the garment. So oh, underboob's under so hot right now. Yeah, underboob is in, you know, whatever yeah. angle you can get on that boob, <laughs> as long as you're not showing the nipple, you're fine. But yeah, so uh, she was she was taking some heat on the stage that I think it was a John Grice had said something to her and she yeah. made the Jesus Christ, but it happened to coincide with uh, a moment, a rather kind of uh, big, powerful moment where F. Murray Abraham had been speaking about the need for peace, talking about Ukraine, the earthquakes in Syria yeah. and Turkey, uh, the war with Ukraine and Russia. And I suppose people were quick to kind of be like, why is she like using this moment to kind of like roll her eyes and give like prime April Ludgate energy? Yeah, people were kind of saying, oh, she's pissed off that she's not at the microphone. And like people put two and two together and came up with five. And like the thing is, anybody who follows Aubrey Plaza yeah. as a person and as in her career as an actor knows that Aubrey Aubrey Plaza's go-to is moody and deadpan like mm -hmm. that's what she does when she's being funny <laughs> complete I mean that was that was articulated actually perfectly earlier that evening when herself and Jenna Ortega were yeah. brought together to present an award and the two of them who have a very similar energy and have that kind of deadpan delivery like they they played that masterfully and so you see that and you know like this is just how she is and yeah. obviously Aubrey Plaza has been doing the the rounds and all of the like late night talk shows yeah. during the White Lotus and you see like this is her persona yeah like, 
this is the persona she had in the SNL, um, the SNL hosting gig. Yeah. This is the, the the persona that she's had right through the very beginning of her career. So I think people are sort of trying to make something out of nothing, much like another talking point of the evening, yeah. which was um, Zendaya supposedly snubbing Paul Meskel's manly gesture <laughs> of a hand to be given up the... <laughs> I, I mean, this is the thing. And look, we're part of it because we're sitting here and we're talking about it. But like there is a level of analysis now on the internet, which is just crazy. Like people are taking it to the nth degree. And, um, you know, I don't like the expression go out and touch grass. But like at times yeah. I like go out and touch grass because, you know, it's people are watching from every angle. People are, you know, you're, we're getting videos from people who are at the awards from yeah. every angle. So everybody's behavior is being intensely analyzed. We've seen it with Taylor Swift and Harry Styles at the Grammys. Yeah. Like we're seeing it now where it's like, oh, uh, her face looked like this. So she was thinking this and then she turned this way so she obviously doesn't like him and it's like guys we can't read into no like none of us are body language experts and frankly most body language experts i think are bullshit anyway the only place for body language expert is in the like follow-up show to a big brother that's all that's the only place (laughs) that we have but no you're absolutely right and it is just like you know it kind of is this obsession with trying to like read how celebrities are feeling in order to kind of create this drama trauma between them i mean i think you know perhaps people should give a bit more attention to what paul mescal if you want to talk about like inappropriate behavior between yes. Paul Meskel talk about the fact that he was sexually assaulted outside of uh, his the theater last week and he spoke about that someone grabbed his arse which is the exact same thing that happened to Taylor Swift that Taylor yeah. Swift brought that that DJ to, to court for and everyone was very much on her side but in this that kind of got laughed off because it's like a man being the recipient of the, yeah. the, the assault so it's like you know before we kind of you know jump into like coming for Zendaya because she didn't like take the arm of of our wounded brethren Mr. Paul <laughs> Meskel uh, we can look and see well actually he's probably a bit more damaged by the fact that like weird people keep coming up to him and saying I've got your dick pic on my phone yeah it's so <laughs> gross it's so it gross and like you know there there is a double standard I mean I really think that there is yeah. you know we all universally accept now that the way that men kind of objectify women or touching women inappropriately or you know having in a, like you know private photographs yeah. of a woman on their phone or whatever you know all of us agree that that's unacceptable and yet there still seems to be some people who think it's maybe a little bit okay or like jokey or something to yeah. do with the other way around and that's not cool no I mean like now you know, I know all of my haters will they none of them will be listening to this but if they were they would be falling on the floor dying because as far as they're concerned I hate men <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no but no I mean like you know and and to, to give a kind of you know an, an overview obviously like within the within within society Society, there is a power dynamic that exists that makes men probably have more of a power and therefore yeah. men are often less damaged by this kind of thing but that still doesn't make it right when it happens yeah. so it's like you, you can understand why obviously you know there, there is that like additional focus on when this happens to women but at the same time when something like this happens to a man and it is obviously wrong and obviously not like sort of not appropriate then we mm. need to call it out with the same degree 100%. of seriousness totally that we do um, that we do uh, on um, for, for women uh, one of the other interesting things I learned in my research about the everything everywhere all at once sort of you know mopping the floors first mm-hmm. of all it is the first film in SAG Award history to win all four of the major awards. Wow. So it is like going back in the in the the, the 29 year history. I always thought the SAG Awards is much older than that. But just to kind of like because there always needs to be a fly in the ointment. The award was given to them by Mark Wahlberg who in 1988 yeah. was sent to prison for 45 days for assaulting two Vietnamese men. So it is just kind of a little bit like 
guys, when you are vetting the hosts, mm. when it is very likely that a film featuring like an an Asian ensemble cast making history, perhaps try and pick an actor who hasn't spent time in prison for viciously assaulting an Asian person in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I think probably not a great choice, but I also think it's been 35 years and I think... We have to allow people space to grow. Like, I'm sure True. Mark Wahlberg is not going out, you know, doing anything racially charged these days. Happy to be corrected if he is. But, you know, I still don't think he was the ideal person to present the <laughs> award with that record. But, like, I, I've seen, I think some of the kind of chat around that this week, I've been like, oh, would you can't, like, calm down. This wasn't last week yeah. or last month or even last year. Like, that's true. I was, I was six years old at the time. So, yeah. you know, so was I. I don't, I don't remember it well. <laughs> um, Okay, so now let's talk about another award ceremony that happened this this week, which was the NAACP Image Awards. Um, and there was a really beautiful moment, which I think is worth highlighting in the mm-hmm. context of today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Gabrielle Union is an actress kind of best known, I suppose, for a spate of like you know, early, late, early noughties uh, teen movies, Bring It On, She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You. And her husband, uh, Dwayne Wade, an NBA star, uh, were there to, to, to accept an award, the President's Award. And in that, they paid tribute to their, um, their, their trans daughter, Zaya. So uh, Zaya is Dwayne's uh, biological daughter. And obviously, Gabrielle has, has adopted her and considers her her own daughter since, mm. since they, they, they married. So Zaya came out when she was 12, apparently has been identifying as Zaya, came out publicly in, in 2020 mm. uh, and has been going through a very protracted and sort of hostile process of being able to sort of lean into and become the person that that she actually is. Mm. She has been held back by, I suppose, the interference of her biological mother, Siobhan, where where claims have been made that that Dwayne Wade has been using this to sort of capitalise on it for financial issues. But they gave the most beautiful speech. I want to take this moment to publicly speak to our daughter, Zaya. Zaya, as your father, all I've wanted to do was get it right. I've sat back and watched how gracefully you've taken on the public scrutiny. And even though it's not easy, I watched you walk out of that house every morning as yourself. I admire how you've handled the ignorance in our world. I admire it that you face every day. To say that your village is proud of you is an understatement. Thank you for showing me that there's more just one way to communicate effectively. You've taught me that communication with my mouth isn't enough. I have to also communicate with my two ears and my two eyes. As your father, my job isn't to create a a version of myself or direct your future. My role is to be a facilitator to your hopes, your wishes, your dreams. Zaya, you've made me a better human just simply by being who you were born to be, our baby girl, Zaya Wade. This is not just an important moment for a parent supporting their trans child, but this is a visible and really important moment in the environment that we're in at the moment around the way trans people are being talked about, trans people Mm. are being treated, the way trans identities are being disregarded, the way that LGBTQ rights are going within, Mm -hmm. within America. And it's just, like, it is so heartening to see someone just so invested in their 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 daughter being able to not just go on and live in their own true identity but then 
like committing to advocate and become an activist for yeah. that community so that everyone else is able to do the same. Yeah, because Dwayne Wade has been talking about this now for a long time and, and is seemingly at every opportunity that he's given. And I think it's particularly, I mean, obviously we don't live in America and neither of us are black, but from what I've read, I've read a lot of African-American commentators and writers saying that this is especially significant because there are mm-hmm. particular challenges for LGBTQ plus people within the black community in America. And so for someone who is so successful, such a bastion of masculinity, yeah. you know, NBA superstar and a black man to be so openly and outwardly supportive of his daughter and other trans kids is monumental. No, it, it, it gives, like, it gives absolutely enormous hope. And you're right, like, within the the, the LGBT community, people of colour do, do face, like, significant additional barriers mm-hmm. to being able to participate in every life. And I mean, not just due to, to racism within general society, yeah. but also, obviously, within their, their own community, there Culturally, are, like, yeah. cultural factors that, that are at play here. Mm-hmm. And I suppose this is coming out in the backdrop. In, the, in America at the moment, I, I had a look, I think, according to the ACLU, the American uh, Civil Liberties Union, that they are tracking 351 anti-LGBT bills through the US Congress and state houses at the moment. Everything from healthcare access to removing non-discrimination laws. That includes drag bans and bans around self-ID in Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, Missouri and Arizona. Important to note that in two of those instances, the individuals sponsoring those bills have been photographed in drag in their lifetime, showing that they do not think that this applies to you if you were not having a fun of at a community. festival. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I suppose in, with this background, with sort of such a huge media focus on trans people and on trans identities, having someone come out and beautifully articulate the support yeah. they have for their child, the importance of allowing a person to be themselves, it, it is it is the most important thing that can happen. And I do think another thing is a lot of people are kind of like I saw a I saw a headline today saying that sort of I think it's people in, in the UK think that LGBTQ people are overrepresented in, in media at the moment. And you know, I can understand you're probably sick of hearing about LGBTQ plus people. And I can tell you that for the most part, LGBTQ plus people are sick of hearing about themselves in the context that they're being spoken about, because Mm. so much of it is around how we, you know, how we don't deserve the progress that's been accomplished, how we're taking up space we don't deserve, how our identities are weird and need to be shelved or sidelined, how we're a danger to children. I mean, not to go off on one, but like I manage a good amount of the LGBT Ireland social media. And I can tell you that in the last, I'd say six months, the amount, the degree of hate that we are getting directed towards us, accusations of being pedophiles and groomers talking about us in in terms of sort of how we're trying to sort of, I suppose, model society to disrupt children. And, you know, talking about people with our identities as if we don't deserve to even be alive in some cases, it's, it is it is so draining for queer people and something yeah. like this, seeing something like this, someone, exactly as you said, the typical masculine man, that person who kind of really is sort of usually at the forefront of calling for your exclusion, saying really powerfully, I love you for exactly who you are. You show the world what courage is. Honestly, it touches my soul. Oh, James, <laughs> that's so beautifully put. You know, it's funny when you were speaking there, I... I our interview this week is another queer interview <laughs> on the podcast and I did wonder I was like am I leaning too hard into you know my LGBTQ plus content um that's the old 2FM in me where mm-hmm. you know I have to think about balance and yeah. blah 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 and and you know this is my podcast and it's for you you guys who listen and you know so far you really like it but I was thinking about what it is and I think the reason that I am leaning hard into that content is that I want to provide a contrast 
to Completely. what is out there at the moment. And I feel like it is so bleak that I not only want this to be a safe space, but I want to also be have it be an informative space and a useful space. Like just because I don't work in public service radio doesn't mean mm-hmm. anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't. And I always considered what I did public service, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's having notions about myself, but like I want this also to be a public service and for people to feel like they get something from it. They learn something from it. Um, and sometimes that does mean leaning hard into one subject or yeah. into one, you know, group of people who need support. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, I, I work day to day with, with pre- predominantly I work with allies to the to the queer community. I work mm. most with people who are providing kind of vital health and social care services to, 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 to the general population who mm. want to understand how they can make them more accessible to queer people. And, mm. you know, they are coming from this point of view of like, we need to learn more. We need to know about these yeah. communities. We need to know about these people. So having a bastion and a space like you're providing mm. where people can understand, learn, also where queer people can feel represented in a really yeah. positive way. Yeah. So it's not always the sort of, you know, the 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 takedowns in the, in, the, in the sort of more mainstream media or these kind of like, you know, balanced in massive inverted commas yeah. conversations where you're you're talking about with absolutely no evidence that like children transitioning or children like you know children asserting their identity or living their most authentic selves are somehow dangerous or damaging yeah it, it, it's it's a good counterpoint that it's important to have because the the volume has been turned so up yeah. on homophobia and transphobia exactly. recently that it's impossible to ignore it and you know there needs to be spaces where people who don't think like that can actually hear mm. the truth yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're well, preaching the truth Louise <laughs> I mean I wouldn't give my I wouldn't give myself that much credit but I agree I agree and that's why people like you are important to have mm. on as well okay uh, before we go let um, we've actually got too much to talk about but maybe we could touch quickly there was a big announcement from Ed Sheeran this week that he's playing in Dublin but also he shared this you know really heartbreaking news about an experience he had yeah I, I mean he so he spoke he spoke obviously about his, his new album Subtract is coming in, in the very near future and he sort of speaks about the writing process of that and says that kind of during the, the process of developing that uh, his his pregnant wife was told that she had a, a tumour with no route to treatment until after her birth her, mm. his best friend Jamal died suddenly and he found himself standing in court defending his integrity and, and his career as a songwriter after some sort of you know plagiarism um, allegations, allegations yeah. were made against him and I think in this very difficult uh, this sort of very difficult sort of um context context yeah. he managed to create this new album which i think he seems to to feel really is a he, he talks about it being a a, a trapdoor into his soul yeah. um, and i have to say like i know ed sheeran gets an awful lot of a hard time from people who think that <laughs> maybe you know he's kind of banal he's yeah. a bit james blunty whatever i really like him i think he's a nice guy he seems genuine he seems lovely yeah i, I would be excited to go see him at dublin's three arena on thursday the 30th of march yeah um, like yeah. I think you know I think you're right I think he's he's gotten kind of the Coldplay treatment where people Very are like you know Very so many that. people like him that they people have decided it's bad but like at the end of the day Ed Sheeran is a great songwriter that's undeniable yeah, you undeniable. cannot deny it not only for himself but he's written hits for loads of other artists as well and contributed he has also largely I don't think I've actually ever heard a story of him being a dickhead no, like all not. you hear is him being sound and lovely and being nice, particularly to Irish people, helping out pe- Irish people in needs, quietly helping out Irish people in need where you hear it years after the yeah. fact. Like this is a good guy. Like no, he, no getting around it. It is. It, it's, it, it's similar to, to is, it, is it Brendan O'Carroll, um, Mrs. Brown's voice, yeah. obviously is this like vehicle that people love to hate, but then he himself is such like a good person and a genuine yeah. giving person. Sometimes I think when you're, when things get too big into like the, 
reach that monoculture state, people love to turn around and say they hate it. But actually, the people behind it are, well, can be talented and lovely. Yeah, yeah. And I think Ed Sheeran is one of those people. And even though I wouldn't be like, I'm the biggest Ed Sheeran fan, I could probably name seven or eight of his songs that I really and truly genuinely like. Absolutely. They, like, they, <laughs> there is several of his songs that when they come on anywhere, I'm like tapping my toe and yeah. sort of singing a lot, humming 100%. along with it. Absolutely. 100%. And actually, I remember the first time I saw him because it was on Jules Holland years ago and he did a song with a loop pedal. It was just him and a loop pedal and it was amazing. Like, he's clearly talented. No yeah. getting around it. So um, I, I haven't seen kind of an indication of how cherry his wife is now but i mean it, it there isn't an indication that she's not well so i guess yeah. we can kind of hope that after she had the baby that she was able to have the operation that she needed and yeah that was going well that was my assumption about it as well as that like as he he had said that it was there was no route while no route to a cure while pregnant so i'm assuming that once like the pregnancy was completed that there was treatment that was available and that she is now doing well because i feel he would have spoken about that as well yeah sorry <laughs> i just i the article i've opened is on mirror.co.uk and i just saw the the comments the first comment is kept it quiet until he had a new album to promote <laughs> like what what do you want him to be telling you is every move every day <laughs> and then someone else dreadful journalism this is old news and no report on if she is okay now shruggy hands <laughs> we it's, all want to know if she's okay now though yeah we do, i mean everybody do. wants to know if she's okay now but like i mean what can they report on except what he's told them like jesus okay um anyway we actually that's that's all we have time for james not even getting to Lady Gaga's dog. That's okay, though. Okay, well, let's very quickly. Lady Gaga is being sued. This I mean, is crazy. This, I mean, th- this entire story could just be su- uh, summed up if you had a, a soundboard of just getting the Aoife McGregor, the neck! Yes. yes. <laughs> It's so true. <laughs> so yeah, Jennifer McBride, who was one of the people involved in the 2021 dog napping where the dog walker was was shot and injured in, in LA uh, of Lady Gaga's French bulldog Koji and Gustaf, uh, essentially saw Lady Gaga make a, an appeal to say, you know, no questions asked, massive reward if these are returned other, and decided to return them to the police station. Otherwise, they were going to end up in, in like a, a, a breeding mill for, for dogs. Uh, and she is now claiming that because she brought the dogs back even though she had been involved in the orchestrating and the 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 the, the actual kidnapping or the dog napping that she deserves the the money uh, they have said that a prosecutor or a, a someone in the legal system over there has basically come out to say that where Lady Gaga to pay the money to the person, the reward money to this individual, someone who had been involved in the dog wrapping, it actually technically would constitute the, being the victim of a crime because it would be like paying off a kidnapper or something. Yeah. It's so crazy. It is absolutely insane. Um, the audacity. Still, still the nerve. Formal formation. <laughs> the audacity and the nerve. Honestly. <laughs> in this day and age, Jennifer McBride, you, you got to do what you can. So Ew, It's absolutely wild. <laughs> She's still on former formal probation for the crime itself. <laughs> like, absolute weirdo. Okay, well, look, James O'Hagan, LGBTQ plus activist. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me, as always. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, go to LGBT Ireland and, you know, have a look at the stuff we do. Give us some money if you can. Maybe volunteer if you're part of the queer community. We're looking for new volunteers. Super. Thanks, James. <laughs> Well, it is just about time for me to go, my friends. But thank you so much for being with me this week and every week that you join me. I so appreciate it. It really means so much to me. Don't forget that if you've got feedback, thoughts, 
comments, concerns, disagreements, anything you'd like to contribute, do send it to 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. You can send a voice note or if you want, would prefer a text. Um, and I do uh, address those in the mailbag episode on the Patreon, which comes out twice a month. Um, or every second week there's a bonus episode uh, one is a mailbag episode one is a dissection of an area of pop culture or a uh, kind of piece of pop culture this week this coming Monday I will be uploading for your pleasure on Tuesday morning a conversation about the real housewives cinematic universe yes that's right it's time ever since i started this podcast i've been like the moment has to come for a proper housewives chat like let's really get into it where we kind of came from where the housewives came from its development some of the spin-offs why we love it and why it's so brilliant why it has such an impact on us and i'm going to be talking to the one and only laura debarra about the Housewives Cinematic Universe, as I'm calling it. So that is something to really look forward to. So that's coming up next week. So if you haven't signed up to the Patreon, it is there for your pleasure. If you sign up, you obviously have access to all the previous episodes as well. And there's, um, I think there's there's three up there now and there'll be four as of next week. And um, lots more to come there as well. The link is in the show notes. In terms of recommendations, guys, look, I do not have a lot this week. Ted was homesick for a lot of the week. So trying to kind of balance Ted and... um work and stuff I didn't have a lot of time for TV tragically fuming um, but what I do want to recommend is something to eat because I went to Marks and Spencer's they were doing their meal deal for two which I always love I wanted to get some stuff for uh, my parents and while I was there I came across mac and cheese balls I love a mac and cheese ball my mouth is watering I love mac and cheese in any capacity, but a mac and cheese ball, truly thrilling. Now, I won't lie, rarely do I get one that I find actually properly good and satisfying, but the Marks and Spencer's Gastro Pub, cheesy and oozing. I'm not sure I need oozing on my food packaging, but anyway, mac and cheese balls are spectacular. They come in the in the start. It's a starter for the dine-in deal. They're too cheesy. I mean, truly cheesy. I'm like honestly, I'm I'm struggling here with the saliva in my mouth. They're too <laughs> genuinely cheesy and like cheesy tasting as opposed to just cheesy texture. You can actually taste the cheese. Um, crispy balls of mac and cheese. They're called mac and cheese bombs. Excuse me, and they come with this smoky chipotle ketchup, which is so delicious. This is not an ad. This is just, I mean, I would happily take Marks and Spencer's money. And please, if you want to send me some uh, M&S Gastropub mac and cheese bombs, I would be thrilled. Um, but they are just so delicious, like truly a real treat. Um, and if you get them as part of the meal deal, the value is pretty good. Like I think I got them and like fillet steak and stuff on another side for 15 quid which is pretty good like two fillet steaks anywho there you go um that's my recommendation for this week because i have done nothing but eat and care for children and work um which is absolutely fine i i'm i'm very happy for that to be the case oh i never even said no i did do something else i went to self-esteem oh my god it was amazing it was amazing it was amazing if you're not familiar with self-esteem she is a brilliant British musician, artist, musical artist. Um, Rebecca is her real name. She makes music for women. There's no getting around it. That's that's who she makes women for or music for. And it is so searingly honest and powerful and brilliant. If you haven't listened to her, I cannot recommend it enough. She's been nominated for all kinds of awards. Her live show was 
perfect. She had these amazing, her, her backing singers were also dancers, so that there was loads of movement around the stage. Um, the crowd was mostly women, and like you really felt like the men were guests, and, and they were all like lovely men, you know, like absolutely lovely. And it just felt like a really beautiful, powerful, feminine experience. And I loved every minute of it. And if you ever get a chance to go and see her, I can't recommend it enough. And if you haven't listened to her album, Prioritize Pleasure, that's another recommendation I have for you this week. Okay, I really got to go. This is I. This is like, this podcast is going to be insanely long because I literally talked for 15 minutes at the start. Sorry. Um, hope you have a great week. If you can't have a great week, don't worry about it. We will be back together next Friday. We will put one foot in front of the other and we'll be okay. Thanks to my brilliant contributors and to ACAS for having me on the network. I will talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.